Well, good morning, Moody Church. Good to see you today. Uh, I don't know if people from Chicagoland go to uh, Branson, Missouri. Do you, people go to Branson, Missouri? Wow. Yeah. Inappropriately so, it appears. Um, so Branson, Missouri, and I, we haven't been in a few years, but um, our, our family has always loved going to Branson, Missouri. And if you've ever been to, been to Branson, Missouri, this is not like a, I don't work for the Chamber of Commerce or anything of that sort in Branson, but Branson, Missouri is just all these shows, there's more theater seats in Branson, Missouri than, than there are in Chicago, any city outside of New York City. It's sort of, uh, and it's kind of an interesting thing, it's kind of like, um, it's like Las Vegas if patriotic Pentecostals were in charge. <laughs> that's sort of Branson. And so we would go there a lot, and I would preach at a church there uh, called James River Assembly of God, wonderful churches up the road, and connect with, uh, and so we, we were there like once or twice a year, and we'd bring the family, and we really got into this thing called Silver Dollar City that's there, and, and so we would have all this fun. But we, it's a very big tourist attraction, lots of tourist traps, and one of the tourist traps is the, uh, is the Titanic Museum. And it's not really a museum, it's more like a tourist attraction. Think something like Ripley's, believe it or not. And so, but we would always go in, and there's this thing where you try to uh, put your hand in the cold water or feel the iceberg and that kind of stuff. And, and, and part of the reason is, I think, I think, and the kids think, that we just kind of are, 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 are fascinated both by the tragedy of it, but to be honest, by icebergs themselves to us are pretty fascinating. Now, I've, I've never been around or seen an actual iceberg, but... Uh, but they're pretty interesting as a natural phenomenon. Matter of fact, uh, by definition, an iceberg is a, a large piece of freshwater ice that's broken off of a glacier and is floating in open water. That's the definition uh, of an iceberg. And so it floats because it's made of fresh water uh, and the d density of different kinds of water causes it to float, ice, uh, uh, salt water and fresh water, causes the iceberg to float in a certain way. So about 9% of the iceberg is above the water and 91% is below the water, uh, and so uh, it's actually based on Archimedes' principle, but anyway. Um, so, so think of it, 10% you can see, 90% you can't see, and you know why that's important for the Titanic, because it, it, uh, it actually, they didn't see it. You, you, they yelled at at one point, iceberg straight ahead, but, but they didn't know that 90% of it, or maybe they knew and just didn't pay attention, that 90% of it was sort of uh, under the water, not to be seen. And so what, what, why does that matter for us today? Well, we're going through here the Sermon on the Mount, the teachings of Jesus, and Jesus begins to say seven, uh, excuse me, a series, six of them, six times Jesus will say, you've heard it said this, but I say this. Now, remember last week, Jesus talked about how he is uh, the fulfillment, not abolishing, but he is fulfilling the law. And now, on six occasions, Jesus is about to walk through a series of things and say, you've heard it said, but I say and he's going to, in a sense, point to the tip, the, the most obvious expression of the law, like in this case, specifically, he'll talk about uh, two things, about hating and about murder, and, and he'll point to that and say, you shouldn't do this, but there's a lot more under the surface, under the water, that Jesus reminds us or points us to that you don't want to miss, and, and he's calling us, as followers, well, of Christ, to a higher standard in relationships and reconciliation in Matthew chapter 5, verses 21 through 26. We've already heard it read. 
And so the passage here, you can take it in your Bible, turn with me to Matthew chapter 5, beginning at verse 21. And I want you to see that, that Jesus will say, you've heard it said, so here's what you see, what you, what you read, what you've heard, what you've taught, that's sort of above the water. Let me tell you about the totality of it and how it encompasses so much more than what you might not know. We are going to focus, he tells them, not just on the visible, but on the hidden, the, uh, the, the, the bigger issue, the, the bigger reality. And we're going to investigate that this morning. And as you're walking with us through the Gospel of Matthew, I want to remind you, Jesus is consistently calling people to a higher standard, a law of love, a kingdom citizen lifestyle. And so, so, so Jesus, in a sense, is saying, hey, hey, Israel, hey, you know, you, you understand just the, the top of the, the, the thing that's kind of sticking out of the water. You say, okay, we won't murder, but Jesus says there's more than that. He'll say, we won't, we won't commit adultery, but Jesus says, no, what, you, there's actually more to it than that. And so he's pointing out the 90% that often goes unseen. And so Jesus says it this way in Matthew chapter 5. It's not on your screen, but just look down with me in your Bible. I want to encourage you to bring your Bible if you're worshiping with us online to take it out, follow along with us. Matthew chapter 5, verse 21. You have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone's angry, and then he goes on from there. So Jesus actually points out the obvious. Okay, murder is wrong, and judgment will come. And we've, we've even today in our church prayed for victims of murder. Murder is not a foreign reality, regrettably, to the place where we live today both in Chicago, where we have a high crime rate in some communities, and, and thank God for those who are working against that or working with victims, but also working to ebb the tide of violence. And, but we also have a, we live in a violent nation, and only in the United States do some of the things like school shootings happen at the regularly, regularity that they do. And so we hear this and we say, okay, do not murder, and the world would be a better place if that were true. But Jesus says, okay, that's true, but there's more to it. Remember, Jesus says he didn't come to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. So it's not that now we don't care about these things, right? We do care about murder and adultery and these things that we'll see. Six times Jesus says, you've heard it said, but I say. You've heard it said, but I say. But Jesus came not just to uh, fulfill the law, but to, in these teachings, to explain to us the fullness of what it means. So for the next several Sundays, we'll be investigating six examples that Jesus gives to show how he fills the law. This is kind of a mini-series, if you will, called A Higher Standard, and we start here today with relationships and reconciliation. Now, now why does that matter? Because Jesus ties them together, right? And so, so the idea, and this is also important too, when Jesus is teaching to the people there at the Sermon on the Mount, he's actually contrasting the, the, the reality with the way they understood the law, not how always the law was written. How they understood the law, not always just how the law was written. And so Jesus is saying the greater righteousness that he's calling us to as followers of Jesus is found not just in obeying the letter of the law more frequently, right, but by actually a heart change, by having an inward concern, a, a changed attitude inside. And those who walk in this way, who have this kind of transformed righteousness, look beyond the rules. They don't discard the rules. Jesus didn't abolish the law or throw aside the law, but they look beyond the rules and look instead and say, What's, how should I follow Jesus in my, in my heart? So it's not, I don't want to, I want to avoid a specific sin. I don't want to murder. I want to avoid a specific sin, but instead it's much more, how would I live as one who shows the love of Christ in my, in my life? 
And so now it's not just try to follow these commandments, but it's try to live as one who's been changed by Jesus. So Jesus shows us that kingdom people have a higher standard, a standard of the heart. I don't want you to miss that. Jesus shows us that kingdom people, that'll be us, that'll be those he's teaching there, kingdom people have a higher standard, a standard of the heart. So it's not just do not murder, do not commit adultery, the things we'll see over the next six weeks, it's a heart change that's more. So let's take a look and we'll walk through this together uh, one point at a time. We'll start with number one, the law. Now the law says, you've heard it said uh, to those of old that you shall not commit murder. Whoever murders will be liable for judgment. This is in quotation marks. Jesus is quoting, but he's actually not quoting any passage in the Old Testament. This is key. Jesus is referring to, right, you've heard that it was said to those of old. Jesus is referring to their understanding of the law today. Now, now again, we go back to Exodus chapter 20, verse 13, where it says, you shall not murder. And, and, and ultimately, that's, that's certainly key here. But, 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 but Jesus is not making this like the opposite or the antithesis of being opposed to the Old Testament law, right? We talked about it last week. He's not abolishing it. He's fulfilling it. He's not setting himself up against Moses or against the Old Testament law. The Bible's true throughout right? So God's been at work among his people throughout. So it's not like a competition between Jesus and the Old Testament. Sometimes people hear the way Jesus says that and says, you know, you've heard it said, and, but I say. So, but remember, this is right after Jesus said, I'm not abolishing the law, I'm fulfilling the law. So don't think of it as Jesus saying, okay, they said this, but here's the new deal in town. But instead, think of it as Jesus saying, okay, they said this, that was the 10% you could see, that was the 10% that was written down, that was the 10% that was told by your ancestors, but there's 90% that's in the heart, that's inside, that's under the water, that actually is so essential to understand the fullness. So it's not that he's setting aside, do not murder. It's not that he's setting aside the Ten Commandments, it's that he's saying there's so much more there. So Jesus begins with the phrase, you have heard that it was said. He's not rejecting what they heard, but likely rejecting, well, the, the interpretation of the way they saw it, right? Jesus shows us that kingdom people have a higher standard, a standard of the heart. Uh, now, now again, it, or may, maybe one, one, one commentator says, maybe we should read this as, as you have understood it this way, but there's more to it, and I want to tell you about the more to it. So Jesus contrasts, right, what they've misunderstood, and they saw the 10% and said, you know, there's, there's much more. He's the fulfiller. Let me tell you about the, the rest of it. Now, the, the, uh, it specifically speaks about here, you have heard that it was said to those of old, right? Who, who are you shall not murder? Who are, who are those of old, right? Uh, Israelites probably led out of Egypt and into bondage and the wilderness when they received the, the Ten Commandments, the Decalogue. I said that last week, the Decalogue, without defining that I'm talking about the Ten Commandments when I say uh, the Decalogue. And, and so, so, again, the foundation of the Jewish people, and there they were forbidden to murder a premeditated act of slaying another person. Right, we know what that is all too frequently. But the Ten Commandments isn't the only place where murder is forbidden. Murder was never permitted, right? And Jesus actually lays out the consequence. He says, whoever murders will be liable to judgment, right? So we see this not just in the Decalogue, not just in the Ten Commandments. Why? Because murder is an affront to God's very character. I want you to miss this, right? Murder is an affront to God's very character for multiple reasons. See, humanity, humanity is created in God's image, 
And to murder someone is to destroy that image. Think of what a vandal does when the vandal sprays paint on a priceless work of art. Now, intensify that and multiply it by a billion times, and that's what it's like to destroy the image of God in a person. See, that's why uh, the nation and the world is, is, shock, is shocked and struck by the reality of what has happened in Florida, and as well they should be. I actually interviewed the pastor of the church that met in that high school. That's where their church began, and they met there for seven years. And, 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 to, and to feel his hurt and his pain, as he described, they, the first vigil was held at his church, and, and just, just a few, the closest church to the high school, the high school that is now to be torn down and, and destroyed. Why? Because we know that image bearers were killed there. And it's not I mean, it's bad when something else is lost. It's bad when, when, when animals are mistreated. It's bad when, when the environment is danger, endangered. Those things are bad, and I, and I want you to admit that. Those things are bad, but there's nothing to the level of somebody made in the image of God being murdered. Now, why, why ultimately is that the case? Because, because you can't compare uh, any other creature or any other creation. Nothing compares that. Nothing is of like-minded comparison. So that's why. So when Jesus says, you've heard it said, don't murder, he wasn't just saying, okay, well, don't murder because that would be against the law. You don't want people to murder you, so don't murder them. So he's going beyond the understanding of the scribes and the Pharisees. He, he's reminding, yeah, God's opposed to murder, but God is so serious about this that, that, that ultimately because we're made in the image of God, and Jesus' listeners would have all have said, yes, we agree. There's no question here that everybody would have said, that makes sense. Simply this, that you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But maybe what they didn't expect was what came after that. You see, Jesus shows us the kingdom people have a higher standard, a standard of the heart, and he goes a little deeper, right? So now he starts to show what's, what's under the waterline. Let's take a look. We look at the law, but then he says, let me tell you the true meaning. Here's what he says, but I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Now, wait a second, wait a second. So we just had the, the 10% sticking out of the water. We should not murder. Okay, so, so that means basically some people get up and say, I didn't murder anybody today. I'm good with God. Well, there's a lot more to that, isn't it? He said, but I say to you that everyone who's angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. Whoever says, you fool, will be liable to the hell of fire. Now, don't, don't, don't miss this, right? It's kind of like that, that, that meme that kind of went around. Well, that escalated quickly. And it did. Jesus said, no, 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 no. You thought it was what was just sticking out of the water. Don't murder. What I want to tell you, it's not just against the law. It's something that has to do with your heart, because a lot of these things aren't again. Can I just tell you, being angry with your brother is not against law. Some of you right now are literally angry with your physical brother. That's not against the law. You're allowed to do that, except Jesus lays out a new standard. He says, all right, you're looking at the 10%. Let me tell you about the 90%. And the 90% is, is well, the heart. You see, Jesus is not adding to the law. He's giving a more complete understanding of it. God's covenant people have always understood that, that, that the, the law prohibits murder, but Jesus said that murder is much more than ending someone's life. So what's interesting, Jesus is actually speaking against this idea that they've narrowed down so literally that well, the only thing we're talking about is, is killing somebody. And that leaves a whole lot of ungodly behavior. 
Right? Think about this. I mean, think about people who just think, well, you know, I, I did not commit homicide, therefore I haven't broken God's law. And there's a lot more to that than is actually there. And people then, like people now, are sort of looking for, for loopholes. Right? Jesus' teaching brings us to the heart, not just the letter of the law. Anger itself is sinful. It's damaging, right? It's damaging in God's king. As God. Matter of fact, it's liable to judgment. It's that damaging. It's liable to judgment. But the people only see the letter of the law, and they believe that walking in righteousness means just not murdering anyone. But, but think about that. That's not, that's not true. You know, yesterday, my, uh, my daughter's room had become so uh, messy. I'm sure your children aren't this way, but uh, my children have messy rooms. Um, one of them in particular, I won't name her name, but her initials are Jacqueline. Uh, um, he's my middle child, the one that's so much like me, and her room is just such a consistent mess. And she is a, uh, and she has a, she has a closet, and so she, uh, she uses her closet with the door closed to sort of throw her clothes so we don't see them. And there's a little pile of dirty clothes. And so, uh, you know, we don't go in her room and like inspect her closet every day. Well, well, she left it open. We're like, there's a pile of dirty clothes in your closet. So, um, so Donna said, all right, we're going to the laundromat. So we go over to the laundromat and, um, and Jack, Jacqueline needs like seven major you know, washing machines at the same time to rectify this situation. So um, that's a little exaggerated, maybe six. But anyway, so, uh, so she goes there and does her laundry and comes home and Mom said, just make sure that you bring your clothes in, which seems like a reasonable thing. And so, uh, so then Jacqueline comes home, and I, I see her later, and I'm working on a book I'm writing, and so she's, she comes in, and she's sitting down, and I text in a friend, and I said, what are, what, are you, what are you doing? Are you done? And she said, yeah, yeah, I brought my clothes in. I said, okay. And, uh, and so, so then I walk outside, and literally, there's like an entrance door, goes right into our, our kitchen, and rather than take them upstairs to her room, she has piled all of her laundry in our kitchen. And I'm like, well, didn't mom say take it in? She said, well, it is in. I mean, it's in the house. I said, I'm not sure that's what your mother had in mind. I think in-house is what you're thinking. In the drawer is what she's thinking. She said, well, she didn't say that. I mean, so I clearly convinced she's going to be a lawyer one day. Uh, not, I don't want to offend those of you who are lawyers. I, I know there are Christian lawyers. I've met both of them. And... Uh, <laughs> You know, but, 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 but she's like, she's like, she has all these things. No, 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 well, it's in. And so literally, I mean, you have to like draw like on a sheet of paper, Jacqueline, this is where we want you to put things. And this is what you have to do. And any, I mean, it's like I have to list 47 exceptions that must not be met and three specific details that must be met. Do you have children like this? Does it get better? Anyway. Can I, can, can I tell you, though? I mean, that's kind of the condition of our heart sometimes. And, and that's what Jesus is pointing us to, is the condition of our heart, right? And, and so, so the shift, the change that needs to come is we don't want to miss the forest for the trees. Jesus isn't just saying, hey, right, the Old Testament said don't commit murder, that's good. He's saying your heart has to be changed as a follower of Jesus. And he's kind of saying you're missing the forest for the trees, and, and, and Jesus is wanting his listeners to understand more than that. It's not enough just to obey the letter of the law, right? So, so you shall not murder is, is, is more than just refraining from murdering the person at work who really irritates you. 
Jesus says it's more than that. That's just the tip of the iceberg, right? It's more than that. And there's underlying deeper issues beneath the surface that are heart issues, right? Now, in the text, it actually goes through different things. It talks about here, uh, anyone who's angry with his brother will be liable to judgment, and whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. Whoever says, you fool, will be liable to the hell of fire. I, I, sometimes people, uh, some preachers sort of take, well, this is one level, this is the other level, this is the other level. Here's what I would say. I'm not sure Jesus was intending to give us gradations of how bad it would be, right? So if you insult somebody that's just bad, if you call them a fool, it's like super duper bad. Here's what I think is saying. There's, there's, there's a whole lot under the waterline that is about heart issues. And I think ultimately that's what these are all serious penalties, right? And, 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 and don't miss this. As serious penalties, what Jesus is saying is you should take as seriously what's in your heart as what's in that law. Don't miss that. Jesus is saying you should take as seriously as what's in your heart and what's in that law. What we want, right, is we want, we want people to say to us, judge your actions, not our heart, right? So and when it's, it's pretty interesting because, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm a New Yorker. I grew up in New York. But, but when I moved to the South, I was kind of struck by the fact that in New York, if, if we didn't like one another, you sort of knew that we didn't like you. In the South, and subsequently I've learned some in the Midwest, a little less so in Chicago, in the South, though, people can really not like you and pretend that they like you. There's actually a phrase that goes with it. When they talk about the other people, they say, bless his heart. <laughs> what that means is, in my heart, I want to murder you, but bless his heart. So some of you, anyone live in the South? Right? You see, am I, am I right here? Yeah, yeah, you're seeing this. Okay. So this was new to me because like in New York, I would say, you got a problem with this? And that's how we'd communicate. Now it's, oh, I don't like, but bless his heart. I hate him. <laughs> now, now why? Because these angry thoughts and realities in our heart. Now, Midwesterners are, are, are not, not quite Southern, a little different. I'm still learning to uh, adjust to the culture. And then Chicago's like, like this outlier in, in the Midwest as well. But God looks at the heart. This is what I want you to miss, right? We know this. And this isn't just a New Testament idea. This goes all the way back to 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 7. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. Now, that's in a specific context. But when, when you know, when, when Samuel's looking for this king to replace Saul. But, but I don't want you to miss this. The Lord looks at the heart. So if your heart is driven by hate and you've held it in and not said anything or not been mean or not called him a fool or not done anything else, you still don't get to say, I've followed the teachings of Jesus because it's a higher standard. We learned in the New Testament too, in, in James chapter 1, verse 26, it says this, if anyone thinks he's religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Can I, now I, I know, I know that this kind of stuff is really challenging to us sometimes. Remember, Matthew is written to the older brother in the parable, right, of the prodigal son. Matthew is written to religious people, Jewish people in particular, but we're people who have followed Jesus some for a long time. And if we've been following Jesus for a long time, and look, I haven't murdered anybody, but, but my tongue is not bridled and I, my heart is deceived, our religion is ultimately worthless. So these two verses are sort of a backdrop for why things like, 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 Anger and angry words, because it's not just anger, but angry words are actually judged in a similar way to murder, according to Jesus. Wow. See, maybe in some ways, it's because not only are we not to take the physical life of a person, but we're also not to demean people made in the image of God. 
um, why in doing, calling them a fool or, or whatever else it may be. We're not to demean people. So, so as disciples of Jesus, we're not can, just looking for outward obedience. We're looking for internal change. We're, now, don't misunderstand. The, the prophets in the Old Testament said the same thing. That's why this is not, let's forget everything before, right? Prophets in the Old Testament are constantly calling God's people to pursue a righteousness of the heart and to do so from a pure heart focused on God. But Jesus shows us how kingdom people have a higher standard, a standard of the heart. Jesus shows them that, yeah, the 10% above the waterline is still true, but there's 90% below the waterline that you need to know. You know, and I, I think you know, next, next week, actually, actually Pastor Bill's going to talk about uh, adultery and lust. And, um, but, I, but I had an illustration I thought really, I was watching a television show, and, and somebody said something that really just struck me, and it was so sad. There was this um, couple, this, you know, beautiful young couple, Ken and Barbie kind of couple, and, uh, and they, were getting, um, they were getting married, and they were talking about going to a, uh, a bachelor party. And the, the fiance, uh, she said, she, said uh, she was talking to her friends. You know, was, I don't even remember the context, to be honest. She said, she said it's fine with me. It's fine with me. Uh, he can go to the bachelor party and there'll be, there'll be, uh, there'll be dancers, strippers, and there'll be, there'll be this and that. And, and what she said was, as long as, and I won't say it for the sake of our congregation here, she says, as long as this doesn't happen, it's okay. So in other words, you can think it, you can see it, you can dwell on it, you can wish for it, but as long as this one physical act doesn't happen, it's okay. And that's the kind of approach that I think is hurting and hindering so many people in so many relationships because it has consequences. Now, it's easy for us to see that. I think most of you would say, yeah, I totally get that, that a, a bachelor party that would dishonor God in that way would also dishonor a future wife and more. And, and like me, maybe, maybe I'm the father of daughters, so I see that and I just grieve that this young woman has been taught to think this way. But what I want to say to you is, is this is the higher standard of righteousness that Jesus lays out. It's easier for us to see. Don't you miss this? It's easy for us to see it about lust. Maybe it's a little harder for us to see it about anger and disunity at Moody Church or your family situation where you don't want to reconcile with your relatives who you're furious with or your coworker that you think's a fool and an idiot and you just can't get that out of your heart and your mind. What I would say to you is the comparison is evident. Don't focus on the 10% above the waterline. Focus on the 90% of your heart that's below. Does that make sense? So number three on our outline is actually, well, two applications, right? So, so Jesus then gives us a couple of applications. He starts with the law. You've heard it said, but I say, he gives the rest, the kind of the under the waterline. Then there are these two applications, right? So Jesus teaching on really in a sense, valuing others, how we relate to others have two um, easily understandable applications, right? Because remember, Jesus is showing us that kingdom people have a higher standard, a standard of the heart. And he starts with reconciliation before worship. Now, let's look at where it says that, right? So, it says, so if you're offering your gift at the altar and then remember that your brother has something against you, uh, leave your gift before the altar and go. First, be reconciled to your brother and then come offer your gift. Now, let's, let's leave this up here for a second. You see the word brother. Now, it could be, it could be it's brother and sister here, right? So, the ESV translates it brother, but it's going to be brother and sister. But can I just ask you, you know, when I was a kid, we used to do these things called Mad Libs, where you sort of put in a word and change the word, and you put in the, you got like this empty word. Can I just tell you, I, what, what word do you need to put there? Coworker? 
Your stepmom? Your neighbor? I don't know what it is, but my guess is if we took out the word brother, for a lot of you, you'd immediately think of some people that you need to reconcile with. And Jesus actually, it's interesting too, because this is key, right? So Jesus' example is that, and it's kind of in a sense, it's kind of a very strange example that maybe we miss. I mean, you probably, you got here to Moody Church, you might have taken the L, you might have taken, uh, you might have taken some public transit, you might have you know, gotten a car uh, service of somehow, uh, you might have driven, whatever else it may be. You got here somehow. So you read this verse and you say, if you're offering the gift there at the altar, and remember your brother is something against you, first be reconciled to, to your brother. So you'd think, well, you know, if I thought about this, I could go get in my car, go home, or make a phone call from my cell phone. But you got to remember the time here, right? Jesus is teaching on a hillside in Galilee, and the only altar where a person can sacrifice was in Jerusalem. So this outrageous scenario envisions that, that, that actually a person has traveled three days to the temple, right? Gets to the temple to give a sacrifice. Just as he's about to place the sacrifice, which is probably a goat or a ram or a lamb on the altar, he remembers somebody back in Galilee has something against him. He's ticked or is upset or he feels wrong. So Jesus says, go ahead and leave your offering with the priest. Walk three days back home. Be reconciled. Travel three days back to the temple to finish your worship. Now, don't miss that. It kind of sounds pretty improbable. Who would wait till they're at the altar to remember someone's at odd with them? Man, I, but I remember how many times uh, I've been at the grocery store. My wife asked me to get something, and I forgot, and I remember when I'm in the line. And Jesus is here, though. So don't miss this. Jesus is saying that it is so important. This 90% below the waterline is so important that you need to go walk home for three days. Now, don't, don't hear what I didn't say. I didn't say worshiping. God's not important. Uh, we live in a life that's in a constant state of worship. But Jesus says to them, and this is why this is so important, because we'd rather give a donation than experience reconciliation. And a donation is one of those things that's kind of above the waterline. Look, I'm going to give. But reconciliation is something that stays hidden in our hearts. Amen. I don't want you to miss this. Because for me, I've actually had an experience, a journey where I was unreconciled with somebody for a, a long time. And then to get to the place of reconciliation, now sometimes you can't even get to the place of reconciliation, but sometimes you have to deal with what forgiveness means for someone who's gone or has wronged you. But, but listen, he, he lays out you need reconciliation before donation, but it's, it's broader than that. Jesus is teaching that we have to be a people who are going to take difficult steps to be reconciled with our brother or a sister or a neighbor or a coworker, and then bring, bring an offering to God. Here's why. Can I just want you to miss this, right? Worship of God, worship of God, or any religious activity that, that is sort of to appease God or, or kind of make our relationship with God better if it's not based on a purity of human relationships. Jesus said, don't call him a fool. Don't say this. Don't say that. Your heart underneath the service determines your worship above the service. Jesus shows us that kingdom people have a higher standard, a standard of the heart. Now, the other example he gives is reconciliation before judgment, right? So reconciliation before worship, reconciliation before judgment. Here's the second example he gives. He says, come to terms quickly, come to terms quickly with your accuser while you're going with him to court, lest your accuser hand you over to the judge and the judge to the guard and you will be put in prison. Now, now again, this talk, truly I said to you, you will never get out until you have paid the last penny. Now, in the first example, Jesus talks about proper worship. In the, this example, he reminds us of being at peace with others, even in the secular world. 
Now, don't miss this. Jesus isn't giving legal advice here, right? He's, he's imparting a general principle. It is better to settle with somebody before you get to court because after that, the decision is out of your hands. And the issue actually here seems to be one of debt because they're being thrown into a debtor's prison and, and ultimately you can't, you can't get out until you pay it back. And the problem with being in debt for a or being in jail for a financial debt is you can't earn money actually to pay it back. So how does this apply to Jesus' teaching on murder and anger? Well, the exhortation is to realize that conflict with others, not just the extreme prohibition of murder, is a serious, serious reality. Pennington puts it this way, right? It says, therefore, it says, not just the extreme prohibition of murder is a serious matter that will often result in destruction. Therefore, reconciliation should be sought lest judgment be experienced. So I want you to miss this, right? In both of these scenarios, right, there's no clear, right, there's, there's no clear picture of, of whether the person is guilty or not. What, what it boils down to is, is your heart in the right place to reconcile with your brother or neighbor or coworker or whatever? Is your heart in the right place to reconcile with those with whom you have a broken relationship? Is your heart in the right place to settle with those who you have a disagreement? So Jesus is laying out a different way. Why? Because number four and finally, kingdom people are people of reconciliation, right? We talked about the law. Jesus said, you've heard it said. You're going to hear that six times over the next six weeks. The true meaning is, uh, but I say, uh, here he gives us two applications, but kingdom people are people of reconciliation. Jesus shows us that kingdom people have a higher standard, a standard of the heart. Here, it's a focus on reconciliation. So it's not just don't murder. That's the 10% above the waterline. It's the 90% below the waterline. Let's take a look at some things. We're going to quickly go through some verses that speak about this because we're called to be reconciling, right? We're called to be reconciling. 2 Corinthians 5.18 puts it this way. All this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. This is a theme here about reconciliation that's found throughout the Bible, specifically reconciling others to Christ, but to be people of reconciliation. It's a hard issue. What else is below the waterline? How about forgiving? It says in Ephesians 4.32, it says, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. I don't know about you, but do you fit that description? Are you a person that people say, that's a forgiving person because God has forgiven them? Or how about this? There's even a sense of striving, right? Not just forgiving, but a sense of striving, right? So where does it say that? It says in Hebrews 12, uh, 14, strive for peace with everyone. Is that, is that you? You say, I haven't murdered anybody. Can I just tell you there's a long distance between not murdering somebody and striving for peace with everybody? And Jesus calls us to be more here than simply to say, I haven't committed a heinous crime. But that boils down to being loving. This loving theme we see throughout here, it says this in 1 Peter 4, 8, it says, above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. Now, can I tell you how beautiful that is? So don't miss the contrast. So Jesus goes from, and he's not abolishing, he's not saying, okay, you can murder now. What he's saying is you've heard it, you've heard it said that of old that you should not murder. What I'm saying to you is that's true. That 10% of the iceberg is real, but the 90% below the waterline leads to a life of loving others, or even this, not just loving, but going a little, a little further, but bearing with one another, bearing with one another. I love this one, right? Look at Colossians 3.13, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against one another, man, don't, don't we see, I know, I know never at Moody Church, but some churches I've been in, in the past, people had complaints against one another, but they would forgive each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you must forgive. So my question for you is, is what today 
is God calling you to do? What this, you know what this boils down to? They would say, okay, we can't murder. Jesus is saying, no, you can't be at odds with other people to the degree that it was in your power to reconcile or to settle. Do you see? Do you see how <laughs> that escalated quickly? Right? Okay, well, I wasn't murdered. I came in here as a non-murderer, thought I was good. And now you're leaving here saying, you know, if you have broken relationships, unsettled issues, if reconciling, forgiving, striving, loving, and bearing are not evident in your life, I think we have to put into practice that Jesus gives us a higher standards, a higher standard. Now, I don't know what it is for you. I don't know. Today's teaching is clear. Be reconciled. Not don't murder, though that's evident. Be reconciled. As far as within your ability, now this is not the total teaching, and I understand there are some times when situations are at work or where there's, there's, there's criminal issues and more. I get all those things, okay? But what about for you, to the degree that you can, as far as it's up to you, are you living a loving, reconciled relationships with others? Are you pursuing this greater righteousness? Because if so, then, then the question then becomes is what Jesus speaks about is, will we walk as kingdom citizens? You're on, the, you're on the right track if you take to heart today's message as valuing relationships and reconciliation. And if you'll do those things, it begins to shape us as the kind of people, not the kind of people who just follow the laws and didn't do the really bad things, but the kind of people who've been changed by the power of Jesus. See, Jesus shows us that a kingdom people have a higher standard, a standard of the heart, not just the rules that are above the waterline, but the depth of the heart, the 90%. There's so much more. Because I'm guessing there may have been some here who've been involved in criminal activity, and maybe some here who say, you know what, the Lord has forgiven me of some terrible things that I've done. But for most of you, that 10%, I mean, you could read that verse and say, yep, not me. I don't have to worry. I've never committed, and I'm not currently tempted to take someone else's life. But Jesus says, it's so much more. It's so much deeper than that. A kingdom people have a higher standard, a standard of the heart. Would you bow your heads with me? Father, we acknowledge today that our tendency is sometimes to do the, the simpler thing, the lesser thing, to, to specifically say, well, I, I, I haven't done the worst thing. I haven't, I haven't broken the law overtly, but yeah, man, I really just hate my coworker. I really just can't reconcile with my in-laws. I really just can't settle these disputes with others. Father, I pray that you might speak to us today about how we might respond to your word. Just with your head bowed and your eyes closed for just a moment, I wonder if in the quietness of this moment, you might listen to the question, moving beyond, thou shalt not, not discarding, but moving beyond about no murder. But what is it in relationships and reconciliation that you need to address? Is it a person? Is it a situation? Would you respond in obedience to Jesus and walk a higher standard as a kingdom citizen following Jesus? Take just a moment with your head bowed and your eyes closed. Tim and the worship team will bring us back in in just a moment to sing. But I want you right now before you leave here to listen to the words of Jesus who said, leave your gift there at the altar. You're going to finish the service with us, but my question for you is who after the service, is there a relationship or a reconciliation for the higher standards of follow of Jesus? that you need to undertake today. Take just a moment and Tim will bring us back in worship.